Episode 18 of Pop. Captain Kirk Vic Mignogna from Star Trek Continues beams aboard the Federation starship Pop. Thank you for joining us today on Pop. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts here today. This is one of my favorite episodes that we've done. And today we welcome someone from the universe of Star Trek, from the TV show Star Trek Continues, Vic Mignogna. Star Trek Continues may be one of the best-kept secrets on the net. We want to change that today. Vic stars as Captain Kirk. Star Trek Continues is an American fan-created web series set in the Star Trek universe. Produced by the nonprofit charity Trek Continues Inc. and Dracogen. The series is an unofficial direct continuation of the third and last seasons of Star Trek the Original Series. It emulates its visual and storytelling features to achieve the same look and feel. As a longtime Star Trek fan, I'm telling you this is so. When it comes to entertainment, a lot of people say they don't make them like they used to. I'm telling you that with Star Trek Continues, they do indeed. Star Trek Continues won a Webby Award for People's Choice in Long-Form Drama in 2016 and a Geeky Award for the Best Web Series in 2014 and numerous Telly and Accolade Awards. The series is very positively received by critics who praise the quality of the production and stated that the show has set a new standard for Star Trek fan films. The 11th episode was released in late 2017 and Star Trek Continues has come to an end. But, lucky listeners... You can go to www.startrekcontinues.com and watch all 11 episodes and so much more there. Or you can also go to YouTube and watch every episode there as well. I invite you to check it out. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Mignogna has been acting from the age of eight all the way through college, where he majored in film and minored in theater. Vic has been in countless professional stage and film productions, but perhaps he's best known as a prolific voice actor for over 200 animated series and video games, including Full Metal Alchemist, Dragon Ball Z, Pokemon, and so much more. He portrayed Admiral Isaac Garrett in both the Prime and Kelvin timelines in Star Trek Online. As a young boy, Vic fell in love with Star Trek. And through Star Trek Continues, he's realized his boyhood dream of playing Captain Kirk. And on top of that, Vic Mignogna is also a musician and a singer. Here he is with one of his songs, Nothing I Won't Give. Check it out. By the past, a nightmare that seems so unreal. Wish that I could turn back time and spare the pain that we both feel. And how we've changed, things will never be the same. We were foolish then, but our trials served to make us strong. The burdens are not yours alone. Soul to wear it. 
Hi there, this is Vic Mignogna, Captain Kirk from Star Trek Continues, and you're listening to Pop, a pop culture podcast. And today on Pop, on a very special episode, welcome the captain of the Starship Enterprise. Well, maybe not that one, but <laughs> beaming in right now is another captain of the Starship Enterprise, and ladies and gentlemen, please introduce yourself, Vic. Perhaps not the captain, but no. a captain. A Let's captain, say- a captain. One of the captains, yeah. My name is Vic Mignana, and I'm the executive producer, uh, creator and executive producer of Star Trek Continues. It's uh, an award-winning web series that picks up where the original series of Star Trek was canceled in the late 60s and finishes the five-year mission. And uh, I also have the distinct privilege and the childhood dream come true of playing Captain Kirk in the series. It's an honor to speak to you. It is my pleasure. Thank you. To call this thing a web series is, I feel, a great understatement. I'm going to say some things that you probably can't or shouldn't because you don't want to come off as like a big ego pig or anything. (laughs) But this is one of the best things I've ever seen in my entire life. You've heard of disgruntled Star Trek fans, right? Yes, of course. Well, I am very gruntled. I'm I'm a very gruntled Star Trek fan. But there are a lot of people out there who miss the the glory days of the original series. And to to just call this a web series, to me, does not give it enough love or really speak to what it is. Star Trek Continues is one of my favorite things. Simply put, it is is also a continuation of the, the characters that we love and it's kind of like you filling in the gaps right yes very much so you know when i was a little boy i fell in love with the original series and and it inspired me like nothing had to that point in my life and so now fast forward several decades and i have developed and even in 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 many areas work professionally in the fields that star trek inspired me to try for the first time. So Star Trek Continues was basically my love letter back to Star Trek, my gift back to the show um, that inspired me in so many ways. And and I always felt like it was such a, a tragedy that it was cut off so short and that it never had an ending. I mean, the, the most iconic series in television history never had an ending. It just stopped in 1969 and then the next time you saw those characters was 10 years later in Star Trek The Motion Picture. But but that, but by that time, a lot of things had changed. Mm-hmm. The, the Enterprise was being refit. Captain Kirk had accepted a promotion and taken a desk job. Spock and McCoy had, had both left and, and gone their separate ways. And so my idea was to fill the gap between the cancellation of the original series and the motion picture and – basically complete the five-year mission of the Enterprise. And I'm very proud to say, Ken, that we've done it, and we've done it with great care and great love and attention to detail. We released uh, part one of our series finale uh, several weeks ago, and we just now recently have released part two uh, of To Boldly Go is the name of the episodes. And that is episode 11. That's our series finale, and it effectively brings the five-year mission of the original Enterprise to a close and answers the question uh, about what happened to all of the characters. Mm -hmm. Now, for many people who have never seen this, where can they find it? Uh, That's easy. (laughs) StarTrekContinues.com. Yes, and you can get a bunch of other really cool stuff there. Not only can you get every episode of Star Trek Continues, there's a lot of other very cool stuff like the behind the scenes, the making of. Oh, yeah. And I saw something that blew me away the other night. It was you composing music for the show. Yes, I, uh, I've been writing and producing music for probably, let's see, how old am I? <laughs> uh, probably 35 years. Uh, and uh, play the piano. I've, I've written and produced hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pieces of music, not just for myself, but I worked professionally as a composer-producer for ad agencies, and I've produced probably 30 or 40 records for different artists. I have six of my own CDs on iTunes. Mm-hmm. So along with producing Star Trek Continues, I always felt that the music from the original series was one of the, one of the biggest 
and most identifiable elements of TOS. And so we started, we set out at the beginning, we started using original series tracks mm-hmm. from the original series. But then I, I immediately, even as early as the first episode, I, I started finding moments, dramatic moments in the episode where I couldn't find anything that really did what I wanted it to do musically. And so I have a studio in my home where I've done music for decades. And I, uh, I started composing and, and performing, uh, little pieces to, to basically do what I wanted to do that I couldn't find an original series, uh, existing score did. And then, uh, at, when we got to episode four of our series, uh, we became friends with an amazing guy named Andy Farber. Mm-hmm. And he is an amazing composer, producer. And he actually wrote and scored full orchestra, full original orchestral scores for some of our episodes. And we actually recorded them with a full orchestra. Mm-hmm. So our series, starting from episode four on, had some original full orchestral scored tracks to our series and all of that there are some great videos uh, on our website about those those sessions as well and it's absolutely amazing what you've done and i want to explain to people who may have never seen this before and you can either go to star trek continues.com or you can go on youtube and watch all of these episodes on your big screen television it is the closest you're ever going to find unless Paramount comes back and says we're picking right up where they left off. You guys seemingly have done that. And you built the entire sets, the the entire Enterprise, everything. And the lighting is so amazing. Yes. That's a credit to our DP, Matt Busey. When I decided about five years ago that I wanted to do this, Uh the very, very first person that I brought on board, if you'll pardon the pun, (laughs) was Matt Busey. I met Matt Busey at another fan production and I immediately identified him as an amazing genius director of photography and cameraman. And so when I decided I wanted to do this, I think he was probably the first call I made. And I called him and I said, I would like to do this. Would you be willing to do it with me? There's no money to be made. I don't know how good it will be. I don't know how many we will do, but I at least want to do one episode and I want to make an episode that is as much like the original series as we can possibly accomplish. And he agreed and uh, he even was involved in drawing up the floor plans we used to build uh, our recreation of the the original soundstage. Well, Matt Busey certainly does an excellent job. Kudos to him and everybody else on the staff. As as far as the look of the series, you you guys have painstakingly recreated everything, every little phaser, every little light, and it, it is bit it is such a labor of love you can tell. And you've been fortunate to, enough to have many stars from the past of Star Trek and from other sci-fi properties. For example, yeah. from Buck Rogers, you want to, you want to, I'll, I'll set you up with that. Sure. I mean, we've had Aaron Gray from Buck Rogers. We've had Lou Ferrigno from The Incredible Hulk. You're lucky you're still alive, Captain. You had no right to interfere. This is my property. Civilized men do not treat people as property. But if that's all you understand, how much do you want for her? What? Lalani, I wish to buy her from you. First you condemn my trade, then you wish to partake in it. I wish her free from you by any means. No. Why? Because it pleases me to deny you. I perceive you win too much, Captain. You will not win this one. Whatever the Tellarites paid you, I'll match it. I will not sell her to you for all the gold in the mind of Denver. Now, Captain Kirk, you stand aside and beam us back to my ship. Or when I'm done with you and your Starfleet, you'll be lucky to command a copper scout. We've had Jamie Bamber and Rekha Sharma from Battlestar Galactica. We've had Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant from Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. 
Gigi Edgeley from Farscape. We've had Daniel Logan from Star Wars. We've had Claire Kramer from Buffy. John DeLancey, I mean, from Star Trek Next Generation, who played Q, uh, was on one of our episodes. Anne Lockhart, uh, her mom, June Lockhart from Lost in Space. And Anne is a sci-fi icon in her own right, having been part of the original Battlestar Galactica. Cass Anvar from The Expanse. We've had a, a huge number of amazing guest stars from all different franchises, and they all have one significant thing in common. When they were kids, they liked Star Trek. And that's why, even though we're not able to throw any money at them, we're not able to pay them some big payday to do it, the quality of what we're doing speaks for itself. And these are people that wanted to, to be a part of something special like this. And I think, they, I think they feel, as I do, that we've created something that's going to far outlast us. Oh, absolutely. Ken, I am optimistic, or maybe I should say hopeful, that, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, 25 years from now, people will watch the original series of Star Trek, and then they will watch Star Trek Continues, and then they will go into the motion picture and follow it when it will become part of the, the chronology of, of Star Trek. That would be a most humbling and such a great honor and privilege. But let me say something real quick, if I may, Ken. You know, you talked about the details that are so on point, phasers, blinking lights and lighting and costumes and, and the sets. And you're correct. All of that, a lot of attention to detail has been paid to all of those things. But there is something that is often overlooked. And it may, a lot of people may think, well, that goes without saying. But in reality, when it comes to fan productions, it's the one thing that fan productions tend to not be able to accomplish. And that is compelling storytelling with actors, good actors. Mm -hmm. Fan films are almost notorious for, for having people that are not good actors. They, they mean well. I mean, they love Star Trek or they love Star Wars or whatever their fan film subject is. Uh -huh. But their, their, their training and their background and their skill set is not in acting. So they end up being very hard to watch. Um, and people turn them off usually in five or ten minutes. Uh -huh. And because the actors don't have a lot of experience in acting, they are not comfortable telling heavy dramatic stories. Star Trek, the original series, never won a single award for special effects. It never won an award for props. It didn't win an award for lighting. And, and those are not the things that it was remembered for. Uh -huh. Star Trek was remembered and is still remembered 50 years later for the stories it told, for the characters it created. And those are things that are much harder to execute than just building a set. Anybody go to Lowe's and buy lumber and paint and uh -huh. build a set. Anybody can study lighting and, you know, and put the lighting in the right place. Anybody can build a phaser and if they and, and make uniforms and if they pay close enough attention, they give it enough time and, and, and enough focus, it's going to they're going to look really accurate and they're going to be really cool. But you know what? None of that matters if the story is lame and the acting is poor. Within five or ten minutes, it won't matter that the lighting is so good or that the sets look just like the original. The audience will not be able to stay tuned in because you will not have grabbed them or gotten them into the story. I really feel that one of the unsung heroes of Star Trek Continues are the stories that we tell with the themes and the morals of the stories and the actors that are playing the roles delivering a performance that that is entertaining and and moving and thought-provoking i think that's one of the things that really differentiates stc from a lot of other fan productions we talk about the great acting that you just mentioned and i of course agree 100 percent. but you have a fantastic home crew <laughs> the the people that you have surrounded yourself with 
is just fantastic, and I'd like you to mention them and tell who they play. You, of course, uh, Captain Kirk is played by some guy named Vic. Uh, (laughs) 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 So you play Captain Kirk, and then you have... I'm, as I said at the beginning, Captain Kirk was my childhood hero. Mm -hmm. He was a role model. He was a father figure. My parents had just divorced and my dad was gone. So Bill Shatner and the character of Captain Kirk became a very, very important uh, person in my life. And so I'm doing my best to pay tribute and pay homage to the character that Bill Shatner created. After Kirk, of course, is Mr. Spock and Todd Haberkorn, a very, very talented voice actor and actor, dear, dear friend of mine, plays Spock. Chuck Huber, a very dear friend and an awesome actor, plays Dr. McCoy. Chris Doohan <laughs> literally plays his father's role as Scotty, and clearly it runs in the family because he's wonderful at it. Scotty, report. They're a shot to cut our starboard in a cell. I'll need 30 minutes to get it back online. We don't have 30 minutes. We'll perform a cold restart. Sir, if anything goes wrong, we'll lose the whole ship. Grant Imahara from Mythbusters plays Sulu, uh, a really talented young actor, uh, anime fan who I met at a convention. Wyatt Lenhart plays Chekhov. Kim Stinger, an actor, a talented actress that I met several years ago, plays Uhura. She's fantastic. Yes, and we even have some new characters. We created a new character for our series named Dr. McKenna, who is the first experimental ship's counselor. And she's played by my partner and um, and an amazing actress, Michelle Specht. And then uh, Kipley Brown, who was actually in, in an, an actual Star Trek series. I believe she was in Voyager. She plays uh, Lieutenant Smith who ends up having uh, some really great story arcs in our mm-hmm. in our remaining episodes. Yeah, so we've got an amazing that's just the on-screen people. Yeah. But then when you start talking about Ralph Miller, our sound supervisor, Lisa Hansel, uh, our makeup supervisor, Ginger Holly, our wardrobe supervisor, Will Smith, Greg Dykstra in in props and sets, John Roberts, Matt Busey, our cam, our director of photography and camera team supervisor. The list is long. We've got a lot of people, and the amazing thing, Scotty Whitehurst and uh, Cade Wilson. A lot of a lot of them come back every time. This is this is something else that I have to communicate. Ken is truly extraordinary about Star Trek Continues. When you're making a production that you're not paying people for, they've got to take time out of their lives. Uh-huh to do this thing that takes eight or 10 or 11 days out of their work schedule. Those are days they're not being paid at work away from their family. They've got to travel to our studio in South Georgia and live there and, and make and spend, you know, 11, 10, 11 hours a day, uh, making this, making this show, uh, Megan Warner, our, our, uh, production supervisor, a lot of people we've had literally, with the exception of two or three people, we've had no attrition. Mm-hmm. Over five years and 11 episodes, we have the same people who come back two times a year to make episodes. And I think that speaks volumes. The quality of the production, the quality of the people, and that the people involved recognize how special what we are doing is. Now, do you have any favorite episodes out of have been made? I know it's probably like asking you to pick your favorite child, right? Yeah, it would be very difficult to choose. <laughs> and I and I will say and I will tell you the reason is because I am involved in every single frame of every decision and every second of every episode. As the exec producer, as the person who oversees the production, as the person who either writes a story or edits the script, as the person who edits the episodes, as the person who oversees the different departments, I am very, very involved in every element, in every decision. So I love them all for all different reasons. But if I had to pick one that's especially special to me, I would say episode four, The White Iris, Yes, is especially 
uh, close to my heart. And I'll tell you why. One of the things that I, I felt was never really explored about Captain Kirk was his humanity, mm-hmm. his faults, his regrets, his failures, his shame, his guilt. And every human being has it mm-hmm. about choices we've made, decisions we made, things we did in our past that we wish we'd have done differently or whatever, regrets. And yet, in the original series, Kirk was almost perfect. He never made, he hardly ever made a mistake. He always had the answer. He always saved the day. And that's indicative of classic 60s television. Right. You've got the hero, you've got the villain. The hero's always the hero. The villain's always the villain. It, it worked at that point. But I wanted to explore the fact that Captain Kirk, as a human being, probably had things in his past that he was ashamed of, guilt that he that he suffered, and regrets that he suffered from things in his past, people in his past. And so we crafted this amazing story where Kirk is basically haunted by ghosts from his past, mm-hmm. and it forces him to confront and deal with issues of guilt and loss and pain and regret that he has buried for years. And it comes flooding to the surface, and he's got to deal with it. And it makes Kirk more human and, in my mind, more relatable um, to the average person. And when we released that episode, we got scores of, uh, of emails from people who said just that. They said, wow, I, uh, I, really, this, I really connected with this episode, and, uh, and it really spoke to me and moved me in a lot of ways. So episode four in particular has a very special place in my heart. Very good. I'd like to talk about some of my favorite episodes, if that's okay. Sure. One of the things that people may not realize, but you – not only have returning cast members, but, for example, in Pilgrim of Eternity, which is kind of a sequel to an actual Star Trek episode, <laughs> Apollo Returns. Yes. And that was amazing. Yes. In fact, you know, I, I, I totally forgot to mention Mike Forrest when we were talking about people involved with the series. Mike Forrest played the original Apollo in the original episode, and... I had come up with a a story that was basically an Apollo redemption story. Uh And I knew someone, Barbara Luna, who knew Mike Forrest. And she set up a lunch with him. And I sat down with him and I told him the story and asked him if he would be willing to to do it. And uh, he came literally came out of retirement. And we flew he and his wife down to our studio and shot Pilgrim of Eternity. I, I, I had no idea how it would be received. He was amazing. And uh, you can imagine the 12-year-old inside of me was going crazy the whole time, <laughs> thinking that I was standing there looking, you know, eye to eye, locking eyes and acting, you know, with the same, the same man that, that Bill Shatner did 50 years earlier. It was really a thrill. But he really set our series off on a very solid course. And it was a thrill. It was really a privilege to have him involved. What a way to kick off a premiere, huh? <laughs> Exactly. One of the most beloved Star Trek episodes of all time was Mirror, Mirror. Ah, yes. You do a direct sequel from the last moment, basically, of that episode, and you pick it up in episode three, Fairest of Them All. I had to stop myself several times and look at the young lady who was playing the lead female character. Yes. I'll tell you what. What an amazing piece of good fortune, Ken. Mm Mm-hmm. We had already cast somebody else in that role, and I I searched high and low for somebody that I felt looked as much like Barbara Luna. She had such an exotic, such a unique look, and I couldn't find anybody. So I had I, I I cast as best as I could, and then a week after I cast the role, I was at a makeup store, a stage makeup store, theatrical makeup store in. Uh, Los Angeles, with our makeup supervisor, Lisa Hansel. We were literally walking through this store, and I looked up and saw this woman checking out at the counter. She was just there buying some stuff. And I tapped Lisa, and I was like, oh, my God, look. And she looked, and she and she was like, oh, my goodness. And I said, I have to talk to her. 
like I have to approach her. So Lisa went with me and I went up to her and I introduced myself and, and asked her if I could have a conversation with her at her convenience. And she gave me her phone number and uh, her name was Asia DeMarco. And uh, we had a conversation and she agreed to do it. I mean, just the most serendipitous or dare I say providential mm -hmm. finding. And we've had a lot of those kind of good fortune things happen to our series. Yeah, in the uh, episode 10, To Boldly Go, you mm -hmm. have the daughter of the Romulan commander who played basically the same character. Yes, yes. <laughs> another another bit of amazing divine providence. I was looking high and low for somebody that looked like Joanne Linville, and I couldn't find anybody. And then one of our, one of our guest directors, uh, Julian Higgins, uh, another dear friend of our production, uh, messaged me one day and he said, I know you're looking for somebody that looks like the Romulan commander. Have you ever, do you know her daughter? And I said, no, but I looked her up online and the moment I saw her, I was like, oh my gosh. And I contacted her and she agreed to come on board and uh, did an amazing job. I mean, just jaw dropping. The similarity is just jaw dropping. Well, as as a viewer who doesn't know what's coming, it's absolutely amazing when you do these things because it it makes you feel how did they do that? How did they get that? You know, how did that happen? And it's it's just amazing. And like I said, Mirror Mirror is such a beloved episode. It's the one people always talk about with if you if you double somebody and they've got a goatee, then that's the evil version of exactly. It's just fantastic. It's such a great thing of pop culture that it stands on its own. But it's great to see a sequel to that episode directly. Yes, a lot of people, a lot of people loved that episode and and wanted to see more of the Mirror Universe. And I always, I always felt when I even when I watched the original episode. I mean, I I I wrote the story for this episode. I thought, I wonder what happened after Mirror Kirk went back to his ship. I wonder what Mirror Spock did with the with the challenge that that Kirk gave him. So I wrote up the story and then I had lunch with James Kerwin. And James is another one of our producers and a very dear friend of our production and, and part of our team. And, and I had lunch with him and I told him the story. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I would be willing to direct it. I mean, I would be willing to write the, the story, write the script based on your story if you'll let me direct it. And I agreed, and he directed the episode and did an amazing job, and then he ended up directing three or four of, the other, of our other episodes as well. Mm -hmm. And somehow or another, you got Lou Ferrigno to be green again. <laughs> yes, you see, now Lou and I are good friends. I do – I'm a voice actor by trade. Yes. I do a lot of animation, video games, Japanese anime. Because I, I've done a lot of popular sh anime shows – I do a lot of, of convention appearances. And in the course of doing these appearances, I meet a lot of other actors. And in fact, most all of our guest stars are people that I met at conventions uh -huh. and became friends with. And Lou Ferrigno is one of them. And turns out Lou Ferrigno was a very big fan of the original series of Star Trek when he was a boy. And so when I showed him pictures of our sets he said well if there's anything i can ever do to be on this i would love it and when we came, when we came up with this story about an orion slave girl and then we thought oh my gosh <laughs> if she has if there's an orion slave trader who ends up basically coming out to meet the enterprise to claim his property oh my gosh lou ferrigno and uh, and lou very happily agreed to do it did an amazing job the the old saying is it's not easy being green, but Lou finds a way to pull it off, right? Yeah. And you know, you were I was, at this point, I was getting used to seeing all these cameos from stars and things like that. I had to do a double take on the Orion slave girl Lolani, who was played by Fiona Vroom, because yeah. I I swear to God that looked Katy Perry. It sure <laughs> did, didn't it? She definitely she definitely looks with the dark hair. She definitely bears a striking resemblance to Katy Perry but yeah Fiona was literally a last minute replacement really I'm not kidding you we had somebody else lined up to play that role and literally a week before 
we were supposed to shoot the episode. We, we lost the girl that was supposed to do it. Something came up and she had another gig. And like I said, we, we don't pay, we don't have, we can't pay people. So we have no, uh, leverage. You know what I mean? We, we can't say, well, you signed a contract or we paid you money. So we lost her, but fortunately she was a good friend of mine. And she said, listen, why don't you contact this other actress friend of mine in, uh, in Canada? She, um, she's a great actress and I've already spoken to her about it and she would be willing to do it. So she put me in touch with Fiona and Fiona came down and did an amazing job. It was it was fantastic, and for the teenage part of me that's still alive, seeing an green Orion Slave girl in a Star Trek thing is it it just made me very happy. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's lovely, and she did such an amazing job. Yeah, you're lucky you're still alive, Captain. You had no right to interfere. This is my property. Civilized men do not treat people as property. But if that's all you understand. How much do you want for her? What? Lalani, I wish to buy her from you. First you condemn my trade, then you wish to partake in it. I wish her free from you by any means. No. Why? Because it pleases me to deny you. I perceive you win too much, Captain. You will not win this one. Whatever the Tellarites paid you, I'll match it. I will not sell her to you for all the gold in the mind of Denver. Now, Captain Kirk, you stand aside and beam us back to my ship. Or when I'm done with you and your Starfleet, you'll be lucky to command a Gamma Scout. I want to talk to you a little bit about the plots of the shows because the. Whether people realize it at the time, we now can look back and see that Star Trek, the original series, and Star Trek has continued as it's went along to delve into what we're doing. I've always, you know, the, the actuality is is that science fiction is a great way to examine where we're at as a culture. Yes. And you, we mentioned that episode, Lilani, and it's about the rights of people that are under enslavement. And that still goes on in this world, and we choose to overlook that, but, but you deal with that. You also deal with things like, for example, we even go back to the Civil War. And then an episode that really touched me was Come Not Between the Dragons. And I'll be completely honest with you. When I first watched that episode, I thought, oh, there's this goofy creature, and uh, here we go into Power Rangers territory or something. This looks goofy. (laughs) But by the end of that episode, it truly touched my heart. And it it talks about abuse, the victims, and the relationship with their families. And... That just truly touched me on such a deep level, and it it's a, it's like Star Trek back in the old days. You would think one thing of a character, then something would be revealed, and you'd see the larger picture. Yes. And yeah. I'm telling you, as somebody who's been through some rough stuff growing up, that really touched me. That really meant a lot to me. You also did an episode where everybody on the planet Uh, Well, I'll just read the description. Kirk must convince an unenlightened alien species to embrace their most hated adversaries on a world entirely devoid of color. And that is just genius. I mean, you start out the episode basically on this planet, it's black and white. So everything's in black and white. And then when the, the idea of color is introduced, perhaps some prejudices manifest themselves. And you don't always give us a night a nice little bow, you know, here's everything wrapped up, everything's all nice at the end. Right. It's like Star Trek. It left us asking ourselves some questions. Exactly, exactly. Well, that, you know, as I said um, at the beginning, that is, I believe, the most important part of Star Trek. Star Trek is not about firing phasers. Star Trek is not about fighting the Klingons. Star Trek is not about flipping open communicators. Star Trek is not about beaming down. Star Trek is about the human condition, and it's about ethical questions and moral dilemmas and social issues and taking on these complex issues in an imaginative, 
story and and setting. And so from the very beginning, I I had purposed in my mind that if I was going to do this, we were going to tell those kinds of stories. Um, and I feel like, I mean, I know I'm partial, but I feel like we've done that without exception. I don't think there is one clunker in our 11 episodes. Every one of them is a solid piece of work, a good story, thought-provoking story and message. And uh, and I'm very proud of that. And that's the part that's harder to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There, anybody can go out there and put on a uniform and flip open communicators and, and, and play Star Trek. And that's cool. But that's not what made Star Trek Star Trek. It's not what made it memorable. It was the storytelling. So that is what I believe is really, really most special about Star Trek Continues. Well, I'll tell you, you really hit the mark. And I just want to encourage people that may not be Star Trek fans to check it out. If you are a Star Trek fan, you really owe it to yourself to get turned on to this. You need, you need to go to StarTrekContinues.com. You can also find everything on YouTube. They have a channel. You can watch everything. You can even see how they did, uh, you know, you've heard of Kickstarters. Well, they did Kirkstarters to help fund this. <laughs> and you can see bloopers and you can see things on the scoring, the special effects, it's pretty much everything that you love about when you get a DVD or Blu-ray and there's the special features. All of it's up there, and it's all free. We live in a time where people are streaming. Everybody's being streamed to death. You know, Vic, there was a time 15 years ago if someone would have said that I'd be streaming CBS All Access, I would think I'd have to go to the hospital, right? Right. So, uh, <laughs> but, yeah. but now we have Netflix and Hulu and CBS All Access, and this is absolutely free great quality entertainment and i am a fan i'm not going to hide it not going to try to but i love star trek i love everything that i learned from it from living long and prosper to how to treat people and like you said captain kirk was a de facto dad to many of us you yeah. know even even if you had your daddy he was the dad you might have wanted to be both him spock and adam west batman a lot of people look at you like it's cornball that you're saying these things like what these characters meant to you but in reality well everybody can everybody has somebody exactly exactly I mean, you know what let me let me say something if there's a guy out there who thinks that it's who thinks that it's cornball that captain kirk was a father figure to me you know what i'll bet you if you were to dive into that guy's childhood he probably there was probably a pro wrestler who was a father figure to him mm-hmm. or or a movie actor or an athlete. Yeah, we all have somebody. Exactly. So, you know, my feeling about that is, you know, I, I live and let live. You know, exactly. everybody is influenced by people in their lives when they're young. For me it was it was Kirk, it was a couple of other people, but everybody's got somebody. Very good. And I have to admit that I have a huge crush on the ladies of uh, Star Trek Continues. <laughs> Absolutely do. Michelle and Kim and everybody there, just uh, fantastic. I saw a photo of them posing with phasers like Charlie's Angels. Yes. I need to get one of those autographs. So. <laughs> well, you need to do that. You definitely need to do that. <laughs> just fantastic. And I love what you've done with the secondary characters on the show. Like you mentioned, Michelle, uh, she, she plays a, a counselor. And a lot of people, why, why would that be on a ship? And it's like, because we have them now in 2017, why wouldn't we? Well, not like that, but, but the reason that we created the character, Ken, was because we were looking for very small, subtle ways to start bridging the gap toward next generation. Yes, yes. And 100 years from TOS, next generation had ship's counselors. Every ship had a ship's counselor. Well, if that's standard operating procedure now... When did they start that? Because they didn't have that in the original series. Right. So our idea was let's create the first ever experimental ship's counselor program and have it begin on the Enterprise and have it be a nod to what would ultimately become, you know, a standard addition to the crew. 
And Michelle has done an amazing job with it. When we, when I started the show, I said to Michelle, okay, so do we want you to play Nurse Chapel or do you want to play Yeoman Rand? We were looking for some of the other uh, established characters. And that's when I thought, you know, what if we created a new character? And you can imagine it's no small, it's no small thing to create a character that can hold her own with such iconic roles as Sulu and Chekhov and Uhura. And, and Michelle has done an amazing job with that. I agree. She's fantastic. Uh, she's got a great uh, sense of comedic timing. Oh, yeah, she does. Yeah, Very intelligent. Uh, huge fan. Can't say enough about uh, everybody on your crew. Have you seen any fan fiction written about your made-up characters yet? I have not. Does it exist? I'm sure that if it doesn't, it's going to, right? It's going to be, uh, (laughs) for example, the the, the character of Drake, who has basically a cyborg arm. Uh, We've seen a bit about him, and we've got these other characters that you've brought into the show. It's just a matter of time before people that are writing Star Trek fan fiction will be adding those characters, and it's going to be fantastic. We would be honored and humbled if that ever came to pass. That's, that, that, that's when you realize you've you've arrived when somebody's out running around in their backyard <laughs> wanting to be Drake or the ship's counselor. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I got to tell you, I got an email some months ago from a family and they attached a picture of their son dressed as Captain Kirk. Oh, wow. And in the email, they said, here's a picture of our boy dressed as his favorite character. And then they said... He's not dressed as William Shatner's Captain Kirk. He's he's playing your Captain Kirk. Ah, that's fantastic. I just about I I almost I had to sit down. Yeah. To contemplate you know the what that means to me because you know, I've put a lot of my own money and effort and sweat and love and tears into this production and for nothing more than the joy of giving back to Trek. Those kind of things, to hear that kind of feedback from people and to to talk to people who who were moved or or connected so deeply with with our episodes is priceless to me. You can't put a dollar value on that. Absolutely. Well, now comes a time on our show where we find out what's popping with you, what kind of things you're into. We just want to get to know a little bit about you as a person. If if, if you had a favorite album or group, what would it be? Uh, I don't really have a favorite album, but I, I am a child of 80s music. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I love Toto. I was a big fan of the band Toto. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing musicians. And you know, I I'm gonna go. I'm gonna I'm gonna stand right up and be proud that I, when I was a a teenager, I fell in love with the music of Barry Manilow. Oh, me too. The Carpenters, uh, Billy Joel, Elton John. So uh, actually, it was Barry Manilow that got me interested in starting to play the piano. So now I could credit my entire 35 year music career to. My love for Manilow. So no particular album, but those are some of the musicians and artists that I really like. Mm -hmm. Well, Vic, here's a song that is similar in the vein of a Barry Manilow type tune. Here's one of your compositions with you singing Hello Beautiful. Just can't stay away It's been so very long That I felt anything this strong You hold my heart the way you did an hour ago I've said all I can say Must be sure you know 
Thank you for letting us play your music in this episode, Vic. We right now, as science fiction fans, are blessed to have some very cool shows on TV right now. I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on the Orville and Discovery. Well, you know what? When I first saw advertisements for Orville, I thought, oh my gosh, it's Galaxy Quest on television. Mm -hmm. And if it was Galaxy Quest... I just knew it was going to be a big hit. Now that I've watched it, I like it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that it has yet settled into what it wants to be. Right. Sometimes it's very serious, and then suddenly there's a dick joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, okay, now, are you wanting to be funny, or do you want us to really take your mission seriously? And 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 so I feel like it's uh, there's a little bit of uncertainty there. But I do like the concept, and I do know that Seth MacFarlane is a huge yes. fan. We've even got friends of our series, people that have worked on Star Trek Continues, who are part of the Orville, wow. that, who work VFX and do some different things on the show. So so uh, I, I like it, and I certainly wish it well. As far as Discovery is concerned, we also have some good friends mm-hmm. uh, that work on Discovery. Uh, Jason Isaacs is a very dear friend. Um Rekha Sharma and some of our some of the VFX people that work on on Discovery uh, are have worked with us and are friends of our of our production. Even some of the cast. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, as I yeah, Rekha Sharma. Yeah, uh, she was our guest star in episode eight, and and now she's a a regular in Discovery. And uh, and Jason Isaacs, the captain, uh, is a good friend of mine. Loves our show. But let me just say this about Discovery. I understand what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. I get it. They're trying to appeal to a new generation, Mm -hmm. a younger generation whose idea of sci-fi is a dark, dystopian, violent, gritty Mm sci-fi. I didn't expect it to look like TOS. I didn't expect that they were going to go back and retro, you know, Star Trek. I, I no, I don't think anybody expected they would do that. I am not their target audience, Ken, and that's what that's what people like you and I, who love the classic series, need to need to keep in mind. We're not their target audience. They've got to cast a much wider net than just people that like Star Trek. They need right. to they need to reach a lot of new people, and I think that's what Discovery is designed to do. It looks amazing. It's it's beautifully executed. I mean, you know, the production value is extremely high. They spend a lot of time and money on it and it looks great. It's not necessarily my Star Trek because 
like I said, it wasn't made for me. And I, I, I respect that. And you know what? I respect CBS. I respect that they're going to do what they're going to do. They want to try something new. God bless them. Uh-huh. It's no tall order to make a new Star Trek series. There are lots of expectations. And at the same time, you know, there are a lot of people with their own ideas. You're never going to please everybody. So uh, I wish it the best. And I love the people that are a part of it. I've watched it. I, I enjoy it fine. It's not my Star Trek, but that's fine. Like I said, to each his own. You know, you mentioned that the Orville hasn't really found exactly what it is, and I think that it's also the same for Discovery. It's it's interesting to see the experiment of Star Trek as viewed through the same kind of lens as Game of Thrones and The Walking Dead, right. and that's really where they're hitting. That's where yeah. they need to aim. What do you collect that is not Star Trek related? See, we could just you, that would be simple, right? <laughs> it would be. And the answer is simple. Nothing. I don't I don't collect anything. I really don't. And and I mean I I I certainly have collected a lot of Star Trek stuff over the years. And when I was a boy, after Star Trek, I was a huge Star Wars fan. So I had some Star Wars stuff. But nowadays, uh, I don't I don't collect anything. Mm-hmm. Well, you pretty much have built your own enterprise, so exactly. You know, you, I I own a starship, so you can just walk around the hallway and you know, <laughs> do all that stuff. Exactly. I, I, you know, I just Im- I just imagine you like you were a child running around the backyard playing Kirk. Now you have an actual enterprise. To I do know that it's with. insane, Ken. You could go on YouTube right now and look up vintage. Eight millimeter home movies. Yes, I've seen these. They're fantastic. A scrawny little twelve-year-old Captain Kirk with cardboard sets and and homemade uniforms, and it is absolutely surreal to me that I am doing what 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 I'm doing now at the level that we are doing it. It's it's really the stuff of the stuff of dreams. Mm-hmm. Well, you've done it, sir. You've made it all come true. That's absolutely amazing. Very humbling. Vic, I want to thank you for being on POP today. I want to thank you for all the work that you have done from all of us who are Star Trek fans from the past and all the the new people that are going to find you. People often say that they don't make TV shows like that anymore, and Star Trek Continues is proof that, yeah, they still can, and it can work. And thank you so much. I'm so grateful for your enthusiasm and your support of our show. The best thing that you can do is just tell people about it. Absolutely. That's what we're doing today. I, I feel like there are millions of Star Trek fans out there that would absolutely love Star Trek Continues if only they knew that it existed. So our goal now that production is finished is just to make sure that people know that it's out there, that it's free, and that it's waiting for them to enjoy. To stream. <laughs> <laughs> it's boldly. excellent. Yes, yes, to boldly stream where no one has streamed before. <laughs> Sounds messy. Well, thank you for coming on Pop today, and we will see you uh, either. You know what? I do a lot of event appearances, Ken. I don't know what part of the country you're in, but certainly come and see me if I am if I end up being a guest at a, at a pop culture convention or a sci-fi convention or anime convention near you. I hope you'll come and say hello in person. Do you, do you also have a regular website just for you? I do, vixworld.net is my kind of my professional site with music, video, uh, graphic design, the stuff that I do. Voices. You've, yeah. you've done so much. And, and we could have you on just to talk about your anime work sometime. Yeah. But uh, we want to encourage everyone to go to StarTrekContinues.com and to your website as well. We want to thank you once again. And we will uh, – I'll, I'll, I'll beam you out of here and try not to beam you into a rock somewhere. <laughs> thank you so much, Ken. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's our show. Pop is an online, nonprofit pop culture audio fanzine made for fans by fans. Any samples of music, TV, or movies heard here remain the property of their owners. Pop, a pop culture podcast, is not affiliated with any products we review or discuss. Opinions heard here belong to the people who express them and may not reflect the views of the pop staff. If you like something that you heard, buy it at your local record, video, or bookstores, or wherever pop is found. 
If you enjoy the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm your announcer, Christine Wolf, saying whatever you do, make sure it pops. Say goodnight, Dick.